Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in. Anyone need a Bible, by the way? If you do, raise your hand. Someone will come running to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. This is Paul by the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we, are to, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but have sincerity. But as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for just the word that leaps out from the page at us, Lord, every time that uh, we are in it and we're uh, willing to open our hearts and our minds to it. And Father, I just pray uh, for the word this morning. Uh, to change our hearts, Lord. We come here to change. We come here to worship you. We come here to uh, become like you, be transformed into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So, verse 12, Paul, continuing his letter to the Corinthians, says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel... uh, a door was opened to me by the Lord. And so Troas, Troas is a city that is near and dear to every preacher throughout the world everywhere. Troas. It says, furthermore, when I came to Troas, and and this event that he's describing here is actually recorded in Acts chapter 20. Please turn with me there. Acts chapter 20. So we're flipping around really quick this morning. Acts chapter 20. A truly amazing set of verses which pastors throughout the world admire and love. Verse 7. This is Paul. uh, Actually, it's Luke writing uh, about the... Uh, life of Paul, it says now on the first day of the week, remember this is the early, this is, Acts is a history of the early church, it's a history of uh, the different churches that were started up right a, uh, after Jesus was taken up uh, to heaven and, and the, Jesus had told the apostles, go to all the world and this is a, a record of that. It's verse says in verse 7, when on the first day of the week, uh, when the disciples uh, came together to break uh, bread, Paul ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Wow, I like that. 
Okay, it says the first day of the week they got together to break bread, probably around 5 or 6 o'clock. They broke bread, maybe ate for an hour. Then it says he continued his message until midnight, five hours. So are you guys ready? Are you ready for that right now? Okay, it doesn't stop there. It says, verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room uh, where there were gathered together and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. (laughs) He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But when Paul went down, fell on him and embraced him, he said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, he being Paul, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while... Even till daybreak, he departed. So five-hour sermon, took a little break, did a little healing, a little breaking of the bread, and then he went on for six hours. Wow. Pastors throughout the world love this verse. And every time, you know, we see people nodding off, it says, well, you know, what happened to Paul? Uh, you know, this type of thing. And, and so that's Troas, and you know, we do kind of uh, uh, laugh at that, but you know, I'd be failing uh, in my job as a, uh, as a pastor if I left you with the impression that this was just sort of an oddball event uh, that uh, happened in biblical times 2,000 years ago. No, this story's for you and me, uh, and there's nothing so refreshing and powerful for you, yes, you, a couple times a year to spend all day in the Word of God. Really? And that's why I believe one of the reasons this is just placed here, it's for you and me. The Bible says that we need to wash ourselves in the water of the Word. Well, sometimes we need a bath, right? We need to just soak ourselves up until we're a prune, you know, for like 11 hours. And that's what's happening to these people. And believe me, they left that day, they left that day blessed, uh, that 11-hour Bible study, and particularly blessed was the young man who had uh, fallen asleep. Talk about grace. Uh, he's uh, revived and uh, revived. You know, Paul didn't want him to miss his next six hours of his message. Uh, and so uh, neither do I want you to mess, miss the next two hours. So anyway, let's, uh, let's uh, uh, continue back in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Just kidding, by the way. It's not going to be two hours. But um, it says, so he, he went to uh, Troas, verse Troas. But then he says he, he was there in Troas. And then verse 13 says, he, and I had no rest in my spirit because I, had not, I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So what's going on here? Well, in, again, in verse 13, he says, I had no rest in my spirit. I didn't find Titus, so I departed to, to Macedonia. Well, why didn't he have rest in his spirit? Well, we, talked, uh, we began talking about this uh, next week, last week. Is that Paul had no rest in his spirit because he so badly wanted to know what was going on in the church in Corinth 
Uh, remember, he had sent a letter to them, what we know as 1 Corinthians. It was no ordinary letter. He hadn't written the letter to talk to them about the weather. Uh, he uh, wrote his letter, uh, his letter because the, uh, the, the church was on the verge of collapse. Uh, the men and women of the church were uh, uh, at each other's throats, backbiting each other, arguing with each other. Uh, competing with one another. People were suing with one another. The marriages of the church were on the rocks. Uh, there were, was open drunkenness and sexual morality in the church. And, and church on Sunday was not a worship service. It was a, sort of like a competition. No one was being edified uh, or receiving. They were just coming to, 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 to try to, what, you know, to, to get on a platform themselves. And, and so in his first letter, Paul confronted every single one of these issues, one by one. He went right down the list. And, and so what happened, though, is that it, it, Paul loved these people so much. And, and, and you know, we, we, we read at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 2, that he, he wrote the letter uh, with, with anguish in his heart. And that word anguish only used one other time in the New Testament to describe the world during the time of tribulation. The concept is, is his heart was shaken when he heard this news. He just loved this church so much. And, and, um, and so what he did, he originally wanted to go there himself and, uh, and follow up his letter with a personal visit. Instead, he sent Titus. Same person as the member later on the New Testament, so the le- Paul's letter to Titus. Same guy, so he sends Titus there uh, to to find out. You know, uh, did this? Did they even exist anymore? Had they just had they just imploded? Did they fold their doors, uh, um, or did they receive my letter? Did they read it? Did the Holy Spirit convict them? Did they repent and turn back to uh, to God? So he sent Titus there, and, and he just. Couldn't help himself. He hadn't heard from Titus. Thought he was in Troas. Went to Troas to find Titus. And what did he discover? No Titus. Titus was not there. Titus was not there. Now what he did discover was an open door. I mean, he finds a group of people who are willing to listen to an 11-hour sermon. Wow. Especially, you know, any preacher anywhere, especially Paul, that's a place he liked to be. But verse 13 said he had no rest in his spirit. Why? Because he wanted to find Titus and and, and wanted to know what was going on uh, with the church in Corinth. Uh, He loved the Corinthians too much to hang around uh, Troas. He had given so much of himself for three years to plant that church. He was there for about three years. He had given his, his life. He had died daily, he uses that expression. Uh, to, uh, to, to see that church planted. Uh, in, in other places, he describes his relationship with that church as similar to a woman going through labor pains and, and, and giving birth to the, uh, to the church. And so it just broke his heart when he found out uh, what had happened uh, since he left. And, uh, and so, you know, it's this anguish in his, in his heart. So it says he took off to Macedonia to find out, to try to find Titus. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my kids would say, would call it totally random. That's what they say. Dad, you're totally random. (laughs) But anyway, out of nowhere, he, he seems to completely switch subjects and he says in verse 14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ 
and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient to these things? Meaning, who deserves these things? Who, who, could, who could possibly have earned their right to do what, what, what I am doing? What, what I've been called to do? Who, who could have possibly been so blessed as, as I am to have the ministry that I have? And so if you're reading carefully, you're thinking to yourself, where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, he's talking about Titus, his longing for the Corinthians, Troas, going to Macedonia, and all of a sudden he, he's breaking out into, uh, into what really here is Worship. All of a sudden, it's now thanks be to God who always leads us in, uh, in triumph in Christ. Now, stay with me uh, on this one. Turn with me really quickly to chapter 7. Five chapters to the right. Really quickly. Verse 5. For indeed... When we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of who? Titus. Whoa. Do you see what just happened? Again, in the, in the beginning of chapter, at the end of chapter 2, he's talking about his great concern with the Corinthians. He wanted to find Titus. He goes to Troas. Titus is in there. He says he goes to Macedonia. All of a sudden, he just breaks out into worship out of nowhere. And, and, and he, he finishes his thought five chapters later. Five chapters later. And people call this like a huge parenthetical. It starts in chapter 2. And all of a sudden, he picks back up in his thought. In chapter 7, he says, oh yeah, we found Titus, and, and, and by the way, oh yeah, I found out that uh, you guys had repented, you'd received my letter, and, and, and you received it with such zeal and such, uh, such wanting to clear yourselves, and, and, you, and you repented, and it was just such an encouragement to me. So why am I bringing this up? Again, Paul begins a thought in chapter 2 out of nowhere, breaks out into worship, then doesn't come back until five chapters later. What are we supposed to learn from this? That's why we teach chapter by chapter at Calvary Chapel. We don't want to miss anything. What are we supposed to learn from this? There's, there's a, such an important lesson here. We learn the secret here of how Paul survived in the midst of trial and affliction, the secret of how we continue to walk always in the footsteps of the Lord. We learn the secret of how the Apostle Paul, though the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he prospered in everything he did, even though in the face of circumstances, at least in the natural, everything seemed to be going wrong. And this was the secret. Whatever the situation, whether it was just talking or whether the sky was falling down on his life, 
he worshipped. And I mean, the guy couldn't even sometimes complete a thought sometimes, again, without just breaking out into worship. What is worship? You know, unfortunately, with my particular church background, I think of worship and I think of a big cathedral sometimes with a, you know, monks or whoever chanting, you know, voices bouncing off the wall. That's what I think of often. Like it's a real churchy term type of thing. The worship is so much closer to home than that. It's so much of, so simple, so much more real than that. In fact, the way it's presented in the Bible, it's just something as natural as breathing. It's something as natural as we just saw changing the subject. God wants to make you a worshiper. He has sought you, he has saved you for this pur- purpose to become a worshiper. Jesus said to the woman of the well, she was arguing with him about what the most appropriate place to, to worship, on the mountain up there in Samaria or in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, woman, the time is coming and now is, now is, when true worship is not going to take place on this mountain or Jerusalem because the Father is seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's seeking out worshipers. He has sought you and saved you to make you a worshiper. What is it? It is simply, so simple, thanking God for who he is and what he's done in your life. That's it. That's worship. Thanking God for who he is and what he has done in your life. When does worship happen? Well, the, the best way I can answer that is this. Again, with teenagers, you learn a lot from them. Whenever and whatever. And wherever. You know, whenever and wherever. That's when worship happens, whenever and wherever. And that's what we just heard. Even if it's in the middle of a sentence, like Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 or whether it's the, it's the fall, uh, the, the, the sky falling down. And, and, and so we see Paul, you know, I couldn't find uh, 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 Titus and Troas, so I, I took off to uh, Macedonia. Uh, but thanks be to God who leads us everywhere in triumph. And, and we are just a fragrance, an aroma uh, of life to those who are being saved, of death to those who are perishing. And, and how did I ever deserve this? I can see someone listening to him. Paul. Hey, Paul. Earth to Paul. What's, what about Troas? What about Titus? You, were just, you just said you left the Macedonia. What happened? You, you know, and so it's whenever and wherever. And, and, and Paul's not, you know, he's not always an easy guy to read. It's funny, even the Apostle Peter recognizes this. If you go to uh, uh, Peter's epistles, and, and Peter, P- Peter, people have been criticizing Paul, and even Peter recognizes, I know some of his... Um, Letters are, are hard to read. Well, there's a, one of the reasons for that was because he did what we just saw him do. He just broke out in the worship in the middle of a thought and picks it up five chapters later. Can you imagine being married to a guy like that, you know? Uh, but, but, but anyway, he was doing the worship thing right. He, was, he had gotten it. He's a guy who had gotten it, and he's a guy that, yes, I want to be like this guy. 
And, and, and so he's writing about one thing with no warning. He's, he, he's worshiping. And, 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 uh, and, and that's, that's who I want to be. Now, I hope you're following me on this one because please, please do not miss this. The point of all this is that Paul not only worshiped it, middle in the sentence when he was writing, he did this always. Including and, and especially when life seemed to be caving in on him. And, and, and you, know, you, you wonder why he always got through it. Well, this was it. And I, I just want to give a real short review and stick to just to this uh, letter alone uh, of the type of thing lest you be in a season of self-pity, or lest I be there either, the type of thing that he, he worshipped right through. He went right through from one side to the other, just breaking out in worship in a random, out-of-the-blue out of kind of way through the whole thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulation and needs and distresses. In stripes, meaning scourges and whippings, and imprisonments and tumults, tumults are riots, and labors, sleeplessness and fasting, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. Verse 8, by, in, by dishonor and by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. I mean, in the midst of people slandering him, people just telling bald-faced lies about him. Easy to read about, hard to go through. He says, as deceivers, people accusing him of just being a liar and deceiver, and yet true. Verse 9, as unknown and yet well-known. Dying, behold, we live. Chasten, yet we are... Uh, uh, yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet make, making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Then we already read chapter 7, verse 5, where it says in the, uh, in the middle of the verse there, our bodies had no rest, we were troubled on every side, outside were conflict, conflicts, inside were fears. Anyone relate to that? Then skip over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 24, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, meaning scourges, whips, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils, meaning dangers uh, of waters, in dangers of robbers, in dangers of my own countrymen, in dangers of the Gentiles, in dangers of the city, in dangers of the wilderness, in danger of the sea, in danger of false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Meaning, when people falling into sin, it just crushes them to see that because of his love for them. And how does he walk? How on earth does he walk into these things and come out on the other side still walking with Jesus? How does he do it? How does anyone do it? Because he just right in the middle, out of nowhere, totally random, he breaks out into worship. He 
shipwrecks, imprisonments, beating, people he loved betraying him, a church that he loved falling apart. In the middle of all, worship. What's worship? Very, very, very simple. Doesn't mean shouting and screaming, necessarily. I suppose once in a while it's like that, but supremely it's very simple. Thanking God for who he is and what he has done in your life. Breaking out in the middle of all that. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. A triumph actually was a word that was used for a Roman victory parade after they had defeated an enemy. They'd come into uh, Rome and with, with this gigantic procession of senators and, and uh, you know, people and generals and cavalry, the, you know, the whole thing. It was called a Roman triumph. And he's, say, and he's saying there in, in uh, that verse, he's saying, thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumph, meaning there is certain victory. A spirit-filled uh, Christian is always confident about where God is taking him, not only for sort of in eternity, but in this life. A spirit-filled Christian is always confident of the promises of God. Regardless of what is going on. Now remember in Acts chapter 16, just a, a practical example of this. Paul had basically a riot happen because he was declaring the gospel. He was thrown into jail. And what did he do? He's in jail and he starts worshiping. He starts singing hymns. He just breaks out in a totally random kind of way, and he worships. There's an earthquake. The, sh the walls fall down. The jailer tries to commit suicide because then if in, in Roman law, you, if you're taking care of someone, you, they got away, you were dead. And Paul says, don't be worried. We're still here. And the guy says, okay, I've never seen this kind of thing before. You tell me about this God and tell me what must I do to be saved. Oh, because the, uh, uh, breaking out uh, into worship. Now listen, this is not just for apostles. This is here for you. This is here for me. And listen, you will never be a light, on, uh, a light of the world that Jesus has called you to be, Matthew 6.14. You'll never be a city on the hill. Same verse, Matthew 6.14. Never be a city on a hill. You'll never be an aroma, a fragrance of life, we read that this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. You'll never be an aroma, a fragrance of life to those who are uh, being saved, a fragrance of death to those who are perishing. You'll never be that person until you become a worshiper in the midst of your difficulty, your hardship, your sorrow, your pain. But also in the midst of just the thrill of life, the blessing of life, the abundance of life. I want everyone to listen very carefully as I read the lyrics to this song that many of you are familiar with and that we sing so often. Blessed be your name. In the land that is plentiful, 
where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I am found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I will turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Can I ask you a question? And I'm asking this to my own heart. Most of you, you've sung that many times. Do you mean it? Do you live it? And again, I, I ask that to my own heart. Do I really live the way I sing? The way I talk? And here's the part that's scary to me. It's scary, and at the same time, it's a wonderful thing. Worship in the midst of hardship, pain, and sorrow, and in the midst of seasons of, of happiness and prosperity. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just, you know, some idea some real spiritual guy somewhere or some spiritual woman came up with sometime. It's the very thing that's, it may be the only thing that will keep you from falling into big time sin. It may be the only thing that keeps you from trashing your life by making just a terrible decision. I spend so much time counseling Christians who have made awful choices. Spent a long time yesterday with a person, made an awful choice. And so often I hear them lay all the blame completely on the doorsteps of difficult circumstances. Hardship, stress, tribulation, pain. What happened? They just fleshed out. Listen, your flesh always will <laughs> cry out in those circumstances. When it, there's a relationship blowing up, when work is blowing up, when your finances are blowing up, maybe you're single, maybe you're single and you're a season of loneliness at, or, or whatever, uh, something that uh, your heart was dead set on, was denied you, uh, you're going to want to flesh out. Listen, Galatians 5.17 says, The flesh lusts, it wars against the spirit. It cries out, and it says, satisfy me, please. And really, there's only one alternative to, to, to fleshing out, and that's worship. It's worship. In that time when your flesh is crying out, it, 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 crying out louder and saying, God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Remember Paul talking about Titus and Troas and then out of nowhere, thanks be to God who always leads us about in triumph. And how did I deserve this God? There's so much at stake here, brothers and sisters. You know, I've told you this before. Um, 
when you become a pastor, people start sending you all kinds of free stuff in the mail, CDs, DVDs, magazines, things like that. You know, they're trying to get the word out about their ministries and stuff. And Anyway, one of the uh, things that is sent to me is this magazine called um, Unchained. Unchained. It's a magazine published by Pure Life Ministries. And Pure Life Ministries is a ministry dedicated to helping men overcome sexual addiction. And they have retreat centers, they have counseling, they have conferences that they do. And Anyway, the guy who is the president and founder of Pure Life Ministries is a guy named uh, Steve Gallagher. And uh, I must say that a lot of what he has to say I just really, really like. He, he's a no-nonsense, pull no... Uh, take no prisoners kind of guy. He call it sin. Quit trying to call it something else. Don't call it an addiction. It's sin, and you need to repent. And he, you know, he doesn't pull any punches. And uh, he's been in this ministry for 22 years. Has seen thousands of people come out of sexual addiction. We live in just a sexified society, where just it's just pumped into everything we see. Uh, you know, we can't even watch a good show on TV without being inundated by commercials that just wants to just poison us. And so this ministry uh, is doing very well. And anyway, in this article, he, he writes something. He says, uh, in my years, actually, there's an article. The, the article this time was, um, in my years, uh, helping fallen pastors helping fallen pastors. So there's an article about fallen pastors and, and what to do, and what he's learned from counseling pastors who have fallen into sexual sin. In my years of helping fallen pastors, I have never had to minister to a Mary, but I have dealt with many Martha. You know, I read that and I was stunned. I'll explain it, uh, in a minute what Mary and, Mar- you know, the significance of Mary and Martha. But I, I tell you, I was stunned. I shouldn't have been. I, I, I shouldn't have been, but it is just such an incredible, incredibly powerful statement. For 22 years, this guy has been counseling pastors. He's never counseled a Mary. Now, who is Mary? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Hey, Pastor Scott, we have people putting down jackets on over here. We've got to do something about <laughs> Luke chapter 10. What, is, what was Steve Gallagher referring to here? Many of you are familiar with his story. Now it happened, verse 38, sorry, verse 38. Now it happened as they went, as they went, that he, Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. 
Now that's worship. Just sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his word, and loving him for who he is and for what he is doing and has done in your life. That's worship. She's worshiping. Very simple. So Martha had a sister, verse 39, called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will will not be taken from her. So Mary was a worshiper. Let's go back to Steve Gallagher's statement. In my years of helping fallen pastors, I have never, never, such a strong word, had to minister to a Mary, only to Martha's. Wow. Brothers and sisters, the one thing more than anything else that will carry you through thick and thin, enable you to continue your walk with the Lord, holy, pleasing to Him, blessing His heart, Christ-like in all your ways, is if you learn this thing, learning to be a worshiper, a random all of a sudden, out of nowhere, doesn't have to be a shout, it can be under your breath, but it's just thanking the Lord for who He is and what He's doing and has done in your life. And I love, you know, even what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He says we glory in our tribulations. He glories in his tribulations because it's a time of worship for him. So, you know, you live in a fallen world. You live in a fallen world. And life's going to turn against you. And things are, going to, are not going to happen uh, always the way that you plan. In fact, I know they won't. They'll happen they'll good and they'll happen bad. And rest assured, your flesh is going to be crying out. But when, that, uh, but when your flesh is crying out, uh, you cry back. You say, thanks be to God who always leads me in triumph in this victory march. Where God has promised me that, rest assured, he's put, we already read in, uh, at the end of First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, rest assured, he's placed the spirit in my life as a guarantee of what is to come. Not only in this life, which Jesus calls the abundant life for every Christian believer, but also eternal life. Eternity with Him. Today we will be closing with communion. Actually, the worship team could come up. We're going to be closing with communion. And and communion... Really, there's no better example in the Bible of what worship is than communion. It's something that we do often, but something that we uh, sometimes don't understand what God really wants it to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul describes what communion is, and he says it's a time to remember It's a time to remember. It's not a time where 
God is sort of conferring grace on you or doing something to you that's going to, you know, put grace into you so you're shaved or, or it's not some magical thing going on. Actually, it's very simple. It's just a time to remember. A time to remember what? Jesus' blood. Without which we would be dead in our sins. We'd have an eternity, actually the Bible says in hell, if it wasn't for Jesus' blood. A time to remember his body that was broken for us. The Bible says that his appearance was unlike any other man who ever lived. It was just so abused. They plucked out his beard, the Bible says. And he was scourged, he was beaten in his face. It's a time to remember that his body was broken for you. So we are going to have a time of communion here, and the worship team is going to play a worship song, and during the worship song, at any time, your timing, so you can go back in the worship tables, I guess they're on the sides, and just go back and get the, the grape juice and a cracker. But I, I do want to say this, that Jesus instituted, he, he began, he had that last supper with the apostles, actually, and others on the night he was betrayed. He started the whole thing for the body of Christ, for people who have been born again. Now, that means the Bible says that we're born once in our flesh out of our mother's womb, but since we're born spiritually dead, the Bible says we must have a spiritual rebirth at a point in time where we ask Jesus by faith into our hearts. Then we are born again. He instituted the Lord's Supper for only one group of people and no one else, for people who have been born again, who have put their faith in Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to very briefly break that verse down. It says, we have been justified by faith. We are born under a sentence of death because of our sin, which the Bible says we're naturally inclined to. It doesn't take a rocket scientist scientists to look around at the world and figure out that their man is inclined towards self, towards sin, towards me, me, me. And because of that, he's under a sentence of death. But what this says is we have been justified with God by faith through Jesus Christ. And it says, as a result, it says we have peace with God. And the Bible says, whether we realize it or not, Without Jesus, we're at war with God. Now, that's something that sometimes we don't realize until we're sort of looking back after we have uh, had Jesus in our life. You know, looking back at my life before I gave uh, my life to Jesus, yes, I was at war with God. I didn't realize it at the time. I never would have said that. But the Bible says that by our actions, by the things that proceeded from our heart and our lives, we were at war with God. But Romans 5.1, I just read again, says we can have peace with God 
we can have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So as people, as the worship uh, team starts, people go back for communion. If you've never done that, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, anyone who's ever done that has done so publicly, I would just ask as people are going back there, just come up here and, and I'm going to be standing right here and it just happens by a very simple prayer of faith. The Bible says it is by grace we are saved through faith, a simple prayer of faith. Communion is for the people of God. If you for the children of God. The Bible says to anyone who believes in Jesus, to anyone who has received him, he gives the right to become children of God. If you've never become a child of God by faith, please come up while we're, while we're worshiping here. And I'll pray a prayer with you, lead you through it. And so let's, why don't the worship team begin and, and let's worship.
to give their life to the Lord who didn't come up right now, you'd prefer to talk with me after the service, or there also there'll be a couple people up here praying after the service, you can come up and pray with them. But I'm now going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says this, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Father we thank you Lord for leading us in triumph in a victory parade, Lord. Because by your word, which stands firm, Lord, you have established us in Christ. You have set us apart, Lord, your word says. You have sealed us, your word says, and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We thank you for the blood that has covered all our sins. We thank you for the body that was broken for us. The perfect sacrifice, Lord Jesus. Loving us enough to leave the glories of heaven. And being made a man. Suffering, dying for us. We thank you that Lord, just for your power. The Lord Jesus was not kept in a tomb, but was raised to life. And now we have that power, Lord. By your promise, Lord, I just pray for anyone in this room, Lord, who doesn't know worship like you want them to know, who doesn't practice it, who doesn't, li li uh, who doesn't live and breathe it, Lord. Lord, I, I, I'm among them. That you would teach them worship. That you would teach them just the simple exercise, the habit, by your spirit, prompting them, Lord, me, us, just to thank you for who you are and what you're doing and have done in our lives. God, we want to be Mary's. We don't want to let the busyness of serving or life or family or job or whatever to get in the way of the one thing that we need the most, sitting at your feet, 
hearing from you, and again, just loving you for who you are, Lord. Pray that you do that work, Lord, in each and every one of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please rise as we close in worship. Thank you for your precious blood that flowed for my sins. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your precious blood that flowed for my
bless you as you're dismissed. Uh, if you need any prayer, you're welcome to come up. There'll be two people in front to pray with you.